Praise God. Good morning, all. You're turning your Bibles. This is, we're getting ready to 1 John chapter 3. The first epistle of John chapter 3, verse 21. Many years ago, I think I must have been for oh, about 18, 19, 20, something like that. I was in South Wales and we went to, for me, the first time I had ever been to a bird park or a bird sanctuary and it was quite a shock to me. We went in and there were all these perches and there were eagles and hawks and kestrels, these birds of enormous power in the bird world, if you know what I mean. Great skill, great, you know, amazing creatures and they were seated on these little perches and there were the guards or whatever they call them, the zookeepers or bird keepers. And every now and again, the bird keeper would go in and get the bird to fly up in the air. And I noticed that there was nothing holding the birds. They would fly to a certain point and then go over there and then come back on the perch. And I had never seen such a thing. And this one would go up and that one would go up. And I went over to the guy and I said, What's, why doesn't the bird fly away? And he told me, when these are little chicks... Where did you get saved? What type of church did you get saved in? When these are little chicks, we crack their mind, as it were. We break their thinking. We destroy them. That's what we do. We tether them. We tie them. And the bird flies, but it's on a tether. And it flies only so far. And the bird goes up, down, up, down, up, down. And eventually, the bird accepts as the fact that it can only fly so far. And then, your job's done. Then there's no more war. You can take the string away and for the rest of its days, the mind is broken. The bird cannot fly. Even though it's free, it doesn't behave like a creature that's free. It doesn't know that it's free and it acts within, you know, limitations that are actually imposed upon it. What an example of the Christian life. Amen? What an example of Christianity and of the truth that you know and I know to be true of ourselves. Amen? Christ is not a liar. The Scriptures tell us the truth. All these promises. Folks, there's something wrong. Right? These promises of God are true for me. These promises of God are true for for you. And i got to change my mind. Romans says, therefore, we will only... Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And you can try every other type of thing, stuffing it with intellect, stuff it, whatever you choose. It doesn't work. It's a renewal process, actually. And it's the only road we can take. Now, I like this scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, talking about freedom. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, We have confidence before God. And that's what I want to talk about today particularly. That we can have confidence in the the spiritual realm. We're talking about deliverance and healing and demons and the whole realm of the Spirit at the moment in this series. The series is called Power to Change. That God has given each of us the power to change personally. And then the power to bring change to the people we meet in this world. Amen. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, that's where the confidence comes. We have confidence before God and we receive from Him anything we ask. Now, I could reverse that scripture quite honestly, right? And I could say, if my heart condemns me, I'm not going to have any confidence. I'm not going to have the freedom to move in the Spirit, to move in the way. It's talking about sin here. If I have confessed my sin before God and I've got a clean sheet, as it were, before God, forsaken my sin, then what happens to my heart? It's filled up with what? Faith and confidence in the things of God. He's talking to me. He's using me. He's guiding me. But if the heart becomes darkened, if we regard iniquity, if we hide sin in our heart, we're getting in trouble. And your confidence is punctured. And that is a dangerous place for a believer to be in this series. That's a dangerous place for any Christian to be when you start dealing with the type of things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Amen. 
Absolutely. This is very serious. It is very serious stuff. Probably the most serious stuff we could ever deal with as Christians is the whole spirit realm and how we function. Last week, we don't want to scare you. Tom doesn't want to scare you. I don't want to scare you. That's not our goal, folks. It really isn't. Uh, sometimes reality's a bit more scary than fiction, you know. Ah, Hollywood couldn't make it up. There's a lot of scary things in the Bible. It's not a children's book. And, and sooner or later, we all have to grow up and get real. It never, I've had so many people come to me over the years. And you know what they say to me? Pastor Mike, you can't say that. You can't say that to these people. Oh, well, Jesus does. Jesus did. Jesus is, is very bold. He stands up and says stuff to the crowds that, you know, when, when we do it, we get criticized. Like people can't take it. Oh, I think you can take it, all right. Amen? Amen. Oh, I think you can take it, all right. And it, I, I will not be dissuaded from this because I've had it for the last two decades. People telling me you can't say this to Christians. Yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can. And this is where our power comes from. I believe the devil is a deceiver and he's a hider of the truth. And he wants to keep these truths, especially these truths at the moment, you know, as far away from you as possible. So last Sunday morning, we were talking about us as a collective body, as well as individuals moving to power and the process that that takes. Now, this is going to be a long series, probably about 30 weeks or so. So stay with me. You can't say everything in one week. But what, one of the dangers there is you as a person. And if I can talk about you as an individual, okay, just for a moment, you need to be very careful about yourself when you talk about the deliverance ministry. Okay? You need to take a very serious assessment of your life before you commit or get involved in such things. Because there is a very serious element to this. The Bible gives us a cracking example of this in a man called Samson, the deliverer. Samson, a man called by God, anointed by God, sent by God, the great deliverer who ended up needing deliverance. The deliverer. The one in which God had set His hope and all because of a foolish, immature, childish attitude to this whole ministry, if you like, within Samson. Samson was a man with great strengths. That's true. <laughs> and one weakness. A man with huge strengths. Too many to count. 21 years, the leader of the nation. V victory after victory after victory. Huge faith. Huge commander of his army. One of the best judges, you know, that they had in terms of defeating the enemy. Absolutely sensational. How many weaknesses? Doesn't take much to destroy a person, you know. Folks, every person in this room, there's no exceptions, has got strengths and weaknesses. Every person. And the strengths that are in you have been given to you by God Almighty to do what? To achieve His purposes on the earth. Amen. Great strengths. However, the weaknesses within you are there from God Almighty and very often left there by God. Choosing specifically, a bit like a personal trainer. If I go to the gym and the trainer looks at me and says, mm, I know exactly what you need. Don't laugh. Right? You need a little bit of this and you need a little bit of that. And, right? He will give me disciplines, exercises. It's actually resistance. I know exactly what you need to resist. I know exactly which parts of your body need to resist for you to become healthy. Well, so it is with God. Your strengths are from God, but folks, your weaknesses can be hand-selected, hand-picked by God so that you as a Christian have to learn to resist and fight back and grow. In fact, the weaknesses within us can be the very thing the thing you hate the most, the temptations that, that trip you up constantly, your tongue, your attitude, whatever it is, that thing can be the very thing that God uses to bring you closer to Him. The Apostle Paul, another great biblical character, wrote most of your New Testament, right? Fantastic individual, incredible in history, really, 
that such a person even existed as Paul. But what did Paul say about his life? Paul said this. Done many great things in God. But Paul said this. But I've got this thorn in my flesh. I've got this problem. Oh, how I wish I could overcome this thing. And all his life, he said three times. I know what he means. You know, you can have that secret place with God. You can have that, I don't know how to put it. Secret place is the best way to put it. You can have that intimacy with God when you need a big favor, you can get it. Right? And I know what Paul meant. He said, three times I went before God. And I said to him, remove this thorn from my flesh. It's a weakness. And what did God say? He said, no, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, you're going to have to learn uh, on this score. You yourself are going to have to overcome this. Okay? And that's what was going to... Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. The Bible actually doesn't tell us. Jeanette thinks he had a weakness for chocolate. I don't know. I mean, don't know where you get that from. (laughs) Right? We don't know. But whatever it was, God would not take it from him. He hated it, but God loved him. And God had a strategy to make him grow. And God has a strategy to make you grow. I told you about my cat, right? My cat was a naughty cat, and we got a lot of foxes, and the foxes, you know, can eat cats. And she would not come in at night, and the only way I could get her close to me was stop feed her. Don't feed her. And I'd say, Jeanette and James, stop feeding. Don't feed the cat. Don't feed the cat. Don't feed the cat. And James would go, huh? Cruel? No, not cruel. The opposite, actually. She's hungry. She's suffering. You're cruel. No, I'm not cruel, actually. I'm protecting that cat. And then what happens? Of course, it comes nighttime. You shake the cat biscuits. She's in like a shop. And she's protected. And so it is with you and so it is with me. You need to learn to differentiate within you how God is, is changing you and growing you. The, the things that He will remove in healing and deliverance. And the things that He will not as such. But rather, it's the ongoing crucifixion of my flesh. That's what it is. It's a dying every day process. And it doesn't become something that I'm set free from. Bang! And I give a testimony. Oh, in 1973, hallelujah! It's not one of those. No, something else. It's something that goes on every day, something that I have to get up every day and fight, and it's, it really is the crucifixion of my flesh. You understand? So I want you to understand a, a little bit about how growth comes with where we're going today. Three, three reasons at the top of your notes there on the printed side. Three reasons why the th- uh, there can be, uh, the, the weaknesses can remain. A thorn in the flesh that, that God is doing something in you or people believe that they can do it themselves and they won't let God in. Maybe God wants to deliver, you know, but they believe they can do it themselves. Or the person has no wish to be free. That can also be the case. Like the guy with the water that I explained a few weeks ago. He was in that category. I don't believe he actually wanted to be free from those powers. So our, our character today is is Samson. Look in Judges a moment. What a character he, he truly is. Judges chapter 13 and verses 1 to 5. You know the story so well. They made films about this story, haven't they? Judges chapter 13 and verse 1, sorry. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son. See that I raise it because he will become, uh, where is it? Verse 17, I think it is. Turn to verse 17. Sorry, I've I've lost it there. But he was prophesied as being the deliverer of Israel. This man will become the deliverer of the nation. And now you understand the background. I'm sure you've, you've heard the story often enough. One simple problem in the life of Samson completely destroyed him and took the victory of the nation. For him, it was famously 
What was her name? Delilah. But you know what, folks? It didn't start with Delilah. And I love the part of that narrative that it says this. Everybody listen. Look up. Listen to this. It's the best part of the story, if you like it, for me. It says this. As Samson went with the woman in Timnah and also another woman, so he went with Delilah. That's what it says. In other words, my point to you is it didn't start with it didn't start with Delilah. Samson didn't crucify that flesh. You understand? Where am I going? Folks, we're talking about deliverance. We're talking about us as a church taking the responsibility that we have as a church, I'll come to in a moment, and doing our job in this city. But I don't want to be a deliverer who ends up needing absolutely. And therefore, he's got nothing on me, which was the series we did a few years ago. If you remember that, it's talking about, Jesus said this, when the Satan was approaching him, right? In that garden, remember? The prince of this world approacheth, he said. And he's got nothing in me, nothing on me. Fantastic. Liberty in the spirit. Wonderful. There was no sin in Christ. So the devil couldn't get him. And truly, Jesus delivered you and delivered me. You get it? And so there's, there's an essence, a very, very strong point that we need to get here. And that is, I need to, to walk aright in order to function correctly, particularly in these areas. Amen? Amen? I need to walk aright. I need to be under proper cover. And I need to make radical, short accounts with God on a daily basis. But there's more to it than that, folks. There's a lot more to it than that. Okay? It's not just about you. It's about us. It's not just about individuals. It's about the body of Christ. And this is what Jesus set out to achieve. And this is where we can really screw this up. And I don't intend to, because I have a very firm plan in my mind. Let me give you an example of what, what's the point? Say, Kahiso here has a demon or something. Sorry. <laughs> what's the point in me delivering him now if he's got nowhere to go? Where's he going to go? What environment is he going to live in? What church is he going to go to? Where is he going to be protected? There was a young man here who we all love, John McIver. Remember him? Absolutely great guy. Some of you will not know him. But John's testimony was that he was addicted to heroin. And he tried many times with this, didn't he? He tried many times to get off heroin. and We worked with him. Just a very sweet person. And eventually, we got him a place with Teen Challenge. And guess what? John got free. Hallelujah. And it was like, it was a long time, wasn't it? It was about a year and a half and no heroin at all. And here comes the phone call. You wait for it, you know. <laughs> the day comes and my phone rings. Hello, Battle Mike, it's John. Hi, John. Guess what? I'm coming back to Glasgow. I'm going to be moving back in to the place where I used to live. What do you think I said to him? Does anybody think he should go back? I said, John, let me tell you, I love you as a brother, but you are not going back into that street. And you're not going back. You've been delivered. And now you're free. And I wish that we as a church were ready. But John, we're not. I need to build a roof. I need to provide cover for you. And the truth is, our people are not there yet. The church is the sanctuary of the believers on the earth. And you need that fellowship. I said, stay where you are. Stay under cover. Stay under cover. What's the point in getting delivered and having nowhere to go? Another, I told you about Jason, Pastor Jason. Same thing. When Jason got free, I remember... He, he was moving, he was moving down to Bray, which is a town outside Dublin where there were no drugs. And I remember stopping the intervention. People said, oh, Jason, you should stay in our church. I said, leave Jason alone. I want him out of here. But, but, but nothing, get him out of here. We can't provide for him. See, one side of deliverance focuses on the person. But the other side focuses, if we're going to be successful, on the collective atmosphere that we as a church have matured and grown into. A culture of freedom. A culture of authority. 
Not one person, not two people who know who they are, but an army! Come on! An army! I mentioned Benny Hinn last week and how, how ridiculous that is and I appreciate Benny Hinn, I really do. But I, you see, do you know what? In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray you would open the eyes of everyone present and let them see. Hallelujah. You can't see it, can you? What's wrong with you? Are you gifted? Are you born again? What's wrong with you doing your job? What's wrong with you being filled with power? What's wrong with you going as an army? I went to see Benny Hinn in the Manchester Evening Arena. And I was right up against the back wall with 22,000 people all looking for one man. And I remember sitting there thinking, Oh God, how pathetic! How pathetic! And I couldn't even see him. I was like, where is he? Anybody, anybody seen Benny? Anybody seen? Is there any bread? Is there any hope in the world? 22,000 people redundant when they didn't need to be and all the pressure and all the force goes on one man. Give me a break. Do you understand my point? In that crowd, there are thousands of people with the same gift. Sitting idle, doing nothing and toss a fiver in the box and pay for him to do it. Twelve men were commissioned. Seventy-two were sent out. A hundred and twenty were sent. And then Jesus said to the whole church, to you, go into the world. Come on, guys. Do your job. And so when Benny Hinn walks out, I applaud him and I thank him. But I'm not fooled. I'm not fooled because the church is the hope of God in the earth. And God has put his trust and his hope in me. And I intend to change the atmosphere in this place to an atmosphere of faith and belief and freedom from anything demonic, anything that will stand against the progress and the procedure of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. That is our job. That is our work. Do you know, we travel enormously, as you know. You go in many churches. Many churches, many places. I've told you this before. There's one church I go to, and I've had the honor of preaching there many times. It's the best of all of them. It's in a strange place. <laughs> it's in Bucharest, in Romania. And a few years ago, Pastor Daniel grew up with the pastor there. And that's how he ended up going there. Um, oh, God. pastor's called Razvan, and you know, you walk into the place, and it's just, oh, it's like the glory and the presence, and the, the weight is just fantastic, fantastic, and I'm always the same every time I go there, I feel, God, I shouldn't be in, I should, I'm not worthy, you know, in the right sense, I'm not talking about a false humility, I'm just talking about the, 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 the strength of God, and such a group of people people who believe in power. And I look at Razvan, I said, I tell you what, brother, and I've said this publicly to him in front of his whole church, I really don't know what you've done to these people. But you have created here what I see in the book of Acts. They met, they, they met in Solomon's colonnade and no one dared go near them. Such was the power amongst the church. Such was the power and the presence of God. That it, and today it's the other way around. Today they shut their doors and hide inside. Because we've lost the meaning and the purpose of the church. The church. See folks, we need to deliver individuals. But where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? And for them to maintain that deliverance, they need to have a place to go. Martin Ellis, another guy came in. Praise God. Drug addicts get set free. Martin, we ran a drop-in center for drug addicts, you know, and the people would come in, and generally I could handle all of them. In fact, there was no problem. Even the worst of the worst guys, we were okay. But I couldn't handle Martin. He was too much for me. And he was a big lad, big strong lad. I remember we were talking about this with Jim on Friday. I was invisible to him. And Martin would come into my center with many people go there. And he would just walk straight past me. And he's dealing drugs. He's getting drugs. And I looked at him and I said, what am I going to do here? 
You know what I did? I remember it. I prayed a quiet, secret prayer to God. I said, God, I'm doing my work. Psst, I, I can't cope. I can't cope with him. See him? I can't cope. I can't, I can't help. Help me. Help me with this one, Lord. And we had a meeting. It was, I think it was a Thursday night. Testimony night. It was packed, actually. And the meeting's just about to start. In walks Martin, high on drugs. Oh, no. He's going to disrupt the meeting. And he sat there. And at some point, you know, in the middle of that meeting, it was like darkness and light. The meeting ended. And Martin walked up to myself and another pastor. And he was radiant. Radiant. Shining. Glistening. And I looked. And I remember him fumbling over the words. But he simply said something like this. Um, whatever, whatever happened to the people that were telling their life stories, it's happened to me. I said, I can see. I can see. And God had reached in. In fact, you know, Martin got saved, well and truly saved. Went to Teen Challenge, same thing. Went away and came back, same story. I told Martin, you're not coming here. I apologize to you, brother. I'm free! I know you're free. But I sent him actually to St. Mark's where he, as far as I know, he's still there. The only other time, because we were not ready. We could do the deliverance. But we as a church did not have the atmosphere or the church culture to actually be a home. Do you understand me? These are two very different things here. And I sent him down there. And the only other time I saw him was when I was visiting someone in hospital. And he was walking down the corridor with all his whites on. He had become an orderly. A hospital, you know, worker of some sort. Praise the Lord. We need to take this incredibly seriously. It's a very serious business. Did that come out okay? I think it did. These are, the, these are the types of positions that churches take. It's on the back of your notes that churches take and individuals take. And they're dangerous. If the only thing I do is square one, if the only thing I do is focus on people, that's called passivity. Okay? And that is a very dangerous place to be. Jesus warned about that. That's why he built the church. Okay? If I don't I mean one Samuel, I won't read it because there's a lot of scriptures there, but you can study them in your own time. One Samuel 2.12 is the story of Eli. Remember Eli? Eli had two sons and they were living treacherously. The Bible has not much good to say about them, I can tell you. They were just going riotous living. What did Eli do? Nothing. Nothing. And things went from bad to worse, from bad to worse. And in the end, in the end of the story, do you know what it says? So God decided to kill them both. And then Eli starts to move, but it's too late because the boys had lost their respect. Eli was passive. Passive. Passive and let just the whole thing go. And the deliverance ministry really that we need to operate in personally, if you like, is freeing our lives from this terrible thing which is passivity. But some Christians live there and some churches function like that. Some move on to the next phase, and that is they become defensive. They realize, in, in fact, I'll read that one. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. Look at this. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. This is Jesus talking about you. Luke 7, 28. I tell you, the tr I, I tell you among those born of, of, of women, there is no one greater than John's, John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does that mean? What does that mean? There's, I tell you the truth, no one, of all the people born on, no one is greater than John the Baptist. That's a big statement. And yet the, 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 the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Do you know what it means, folks? Old the, the, the apostles, for example, were not born again until after Jesus was raised from the dead. So when they were following, that was Old Testament. And when Christ rose and poured out the Spirit, we become born again, right? And the Spirit in the Old Testament, it was called the Spirit, would be upon David. And then leave David. Upon David. Leave David. Is the Spirit upon you? In. Lives in you. Holy Ghost lives in you. 
And Jesus' point here is, don't you know, like, like the eagle sitting on the perch, don't you know who you are? Don't you know how great I've actually made you? Don't you know your potential? He was least in the kingdom of God because you're born again. The nature of God, the power of God resides in you. The power of God resides in you. But the tragedy is, just like the eagle sitting on that perch, we don't realize it. We don't recognize it. And we get stuck either in passivity or at best being defensive. But this is not the role of the church, really, is it? That's personal. It starts to become corporate when we move into the offensive. And this is the bit that I would not recommend that you do individually. Because it's not smart. It's not wise. When we start praying for cities like Malaysia this morning, really this is corporate prayer. Amen. Because we're praying for a nation. And we as the church have that responsibility. 1 Samuel 30 verse 1. Do you remember that story? The Amalekites, was it? They invaded David's camp and they took all his wives and all his donkeys and all his goods. And the men came back and there was nothing left of the camp. And they were ready to kill David. What did David do? Take a look at it, actually, because it's a cracking scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 18. Look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 18. This is great. Everything has been stolen from David, and I don't know what's been stolen from you folks. I don't know what you know in your heart that God has promised you and you have not yet realized. But look at this. 1 Samuel 30 verse 18. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl. He recovered everything. Everybody look up. God, many years ago was it. I woke up one day. I was getting ready to go to church and I went to get my message and God spoke that scripture, that very verse to me. David went out and he recovered everything the devil stole. I wrote it in my notes. I just didn't know what it meant. And I went down to church that morning and I thought, well, well, David wasn't passive. <laughs> he wasn't defensive. He was downright offensive. He went out to get it back. And the thought was going around and around. David took back what the enemy stole. David took back what the enemy stole. And we get to the church and everything's normal until my son comes in the back door very badly shaken with a friend of his also very badly shaken and they had just been mugged. And they dragged them, punched Derek. They took my son's coat and they took Derek's trainers. And the boys who were not weak boys, they were actually quite big boys, but this gang had surrounded them, knocked them to the ground. Well, I tell you, you dads, you know how you feel, right? You're fit to be tied. I tell you, I was all wired up. But I, I, something came over me. A good thing came over me. I got fixed up and I got out that door. And I took off running. And I, I'll never forget it. Because the, the power of God. David took back that very morning. David took back offensive, offensive, not defensive, offensive. David took back everything that was stolen. And I started running down that street. And as I ran, the power of God began to come on me. And I remember turning a corner and there was a group of people standing at a bus stop. And I couldn't, they didn't say anything, but I could hear their thoughts. They were thinking, I'm glad he's not looking for me. I'm glad he's not, because I was running like the clappers to find that gang. Turn another corner, there they are. And I don't know, five or six of them, one of them has my son's coat on. And they heard, <laughs> and those feet said one thing, he's not going to stop. He is not going to stop for anybody or anything. And that gang turned to the boy with my son's coat on, and they pulled it off him, threw it, and they took off. What has the devil stolen from you? And are you passive? It is not the role of the church to be passive. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. And I urge you folks to realize the great authority that you have. I sat in the coffee shop writing this message. Here, what was it, Thursday? I'm standing, actually getting my coffee and I've got my notes in my hand. 
And it talks about policemen, my example. And these two little policemen, tiny ones. <laughs> you know, have you ever seen them? Sorry. But you know the small policemen, you see? And I'm just waiting because it took forever to get my coffee on the stand and I'm thinking, yeah, there's an example here this week about police. Oh, hello. Good morning, officers. <laughs> How are you doing? The example was this. Just going round in my head. Imagine there's a new policeman, four foot tall. And he gets his uniform and he gets his badge. And the sergeant takes him over to Great Western Road. And he says, right, this is your road. Anybody stops, give him a ticket. And the policeman says, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, why? Um, too small. What do you mean you're too small? I'm too small. Too small to give a ticket. Just do your job. So a lorry comes along and the policeman looks and the lorry driver gets out and says, give me a break. Just don't touch the truck, boy. And the policeman says, no, I just can't do it. I just don't have the ability. And the truck driver dominates and drives off. And the sergeant comes over and says, Officer, why don't you do your job? Because I'm too insignificant. You have authority. It's got nothing to do with your size. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. Amen. You've got a badge there. And if you're born again, the least in the kingdom of God, greater authority, if you like, than John the Baptist. Do you understand me? So don't sell yourself short. That's passivity. And don't just get stuck in being defensive. Because that's a failure. But realize the great authority that God has put upon the church. Put upon every believer, for that matter. Look at Mark chapter 16. By the way, before we do that, who's a believer here? How many believers? Are you a believer? Okay, that's just about everybody. Praise the Lord. What's the sign? What's the sign that you're a believer? Don't answer me. <laughs> How do I know that you're a believer? Mark chapter 16, verse 16. This is the sign that we're believers. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. You see that? Now, if you put your hand up and you said you're a believer, then the scripture says these signs will accompany those who believe. Who's that? What's the sign? In my name, not in your own name, not because you're small, not because you feel weak. In my name, they will cast out demons. You understand? You don't need to be bullied. You don't need to be pushed around. But you have a great authority as a child of God on the face of this earth. We truly are the policemen in that regard of this earth. Now, this promise, this impartation that God gives us comes with great warnings. Okay? Because it also says in the next line, it says, they will speak in other tongues. Everybody look up. They will cast out demons. They, they will speak in tongues. Some of you don't. Some of you don't speak in tongues. But you know what, folks? When you got born again, if you received the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to speak in tongues. You understand? You have the ability. There's a different category, the gift of speaking in tongues. That's different. But every Christian who's born again and has received the Spirit... Because the Holy Spirit doesn't come with or without tongues. You understand? Every Christian can speak in tongues. They have the power, but they don't. And it's a faith issue. Because they've not yet exercised faith in that area. It's the same with the demonic thing. It, it is also a faith issue, but it's more than that. It's much more than that in, in terms of the demonic and in terms of deliverance. Because of this. There's more to it. Those who are born again, according to the Bible... The sign of those who believe will be deliverance. Amen? But there's a problem here, folks, and the reason we don't see it is because our lives may not be in a fit state to actually carry on that. With tongues, it may be faith, but for you, it could be sin, it could be passivity. And my problem about the church, my point about the church in Bucharest is I see the bride of Christ rising with such beauty and power that I'm inspired. I'm absolutely inspired. And I believe with all my heart, in fact, I believe we've already started. I believe that that's what God wants to do all over the world in these last days. Amen. Hallelujah. 
great power will come. The glory on the latter house will be greater than the glory on the former. The first thing about Samson, I'll say if you turn back over your notes, the first thing about Samson was that he refused to recognize his weakness and his weakness destroyed him. Right? And I asked you this morning to recognize whatever weakness is within you and face up to it. Defeat it. Otherwise you will become a deliverer who needs deliverance and we don't want that. Secondly, and it's a different point, the weakness destroyed him. Because he didn't deal with it, that same thing destroyed him. What was it, Brenda, on last Sunday when we met Fred? What was he? What was that? I was cracking, wasn't it, about the, the leprosy. That's phenomenal. He'd done a whole display on, on leprosy and the nature of leprosy with all the, all the illustrations. I didn't know, you know. Leprosy starts with a very small, insignificant little white dot. That's okay. Don't mind. Just a little spot. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Just leave it. And then it goes brown. Never mind. And then it goes black. And then you can't stop it. It was the progressive nature of undealt with sin, which is called leprosy. And the Bible compares sin and leprosy all the time. So in order to function correctly in this, you need to aim, make it your target, to make sure that the devil's got nothing in you. Because if he has, you could end up like Samson. You, you understand me this morning. Okay? This is individually, but collectively, we have a huge responsibility, folks. See this. The first two categories, really, it's, it's us as people and the deliverance ministry that we would have as a church. It's personal. But see the last two categories. Taking Glasgow. Is that personal? No, sir, that's not personal. But it's equally spiritual. It's when we get into the realms of spiritual warfare. That's a church thing, right? And the more than conquerors thing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. What does Paul say? I am more than a conqueror? No, no, no. What, what, what does he say? We, we, he's talking about, he's talking corporately. Listen, folks, listen, please listen. John Bevere. I encountered John Bevere who's seen awesome signs and wonders all over this world, man. And I was so pleased with that and I wanted that in our church in Ireland, you know. So we contacted John Bevere's office and we said, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to do it. And we want you to come, you see. So it was a little while, and then back came a reply saying, how many churches are involved? Well, I didn't, I'm not talking about churches. I'm talking about this first column here. I'm talking about people, and they would not give in. So they said, we want to know how many churches, and eventually we got the final reply. John Bevere will not come because the roof, if you like, is not on what he's going to do. If we send him and we go to all that effort, the church structure is not sufficient to keep the work that we do. We're wasting our time. Build unity. Build unity amongst your churches. Agnes and myself, about four years ago, we decided to invite Suzette Hatting, remember? And I went to Simon, and we had a meeting, and I said, we're going to invite Suzette Hatting and see what, what Bongi did and do it here in Glasgow. So I made a formal approach to Suzette Hadding's ministry, said, here we are in Glasgow. Guess what the reply said? How many churches are involved? I said, I'm not talking about churches. <laughs> but Suzette Hadding, same reply. These are people who are changing nations. These are people who are seeing hundreds of thousands of people healed, delivered all over the globe. First question is not the beginning bit, it's the end bit. Where's the roof in your church? Where's the, if we get the people healed down here, do you have a church that's got the mindset to keep them? Where's the church unity? That was, the, that was Suzette Hadding's point. And you know what she said to us? She said no. She said no. Let's see. I'm just inviting Rob Parsons last week. I'm not going to make the same mistake a third time. <laughs> so this time I listed a whole load of churches. All right? Drop some names. Because I realize those who actually move in power understand if all you do is deliver individuals, you're going to fail. If all you do is build church unity, you're also going to fail. You need to do both. You with me? So we as a church need to provide a corporate body, and that's you. And your mindset, you need to say from this point on in your mind, I, Jesus says that he was least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That's you, Jim. 
Right? I need to change my mindset that I am more than a... I am more than a conqueror. I need to start getting a faith mentality and a conquering mentality to take a city, not just a person, but a city, and to provide a church culture in which people can maintain the freedom that they get. You can say amen. That people can maintain the freedom that God gives them. Otherwise, all our work would be in vain. And people would end up going round in circles, and we don't want to do that. So this ministry, my point is, this ministry involves the whole church, and it involves our mentality, it involves our culture, and I don't want any more Jasons, and any more Martin Ellis's, and any more Jimmy Dunn's. I don't want any more of those guys that as soon as we get them delivered, we have to send them out. Because corporately, we're too weak. That's not what I'm commissioned to do. I'm a leader, and that means I have to deal with both ends of this. Do you understand me? You're involved. This involves you because you're here. Why are we doing this anyway? We're doing this because I believe that something hit me up there on the Sunday with Johan. Believe me, folks. I know. Something came into me. A spirit of unity and power. It's... Jesus. Hmm. It's a long time, you know. <laughs> it's a long time. We started building international churches in Dublin with about 20 Romanians. And then we incorporated them into the body. And then the Africans came. And then the, Ro- the Roma Gypsies came. See? And then the Chinese congregation. And you've got to stick with what you believe. Because I believe. Never had the reward for it, though. But you just keep on going. And you must keep on going. Because I believe that the end times church, the bride, is from every... Oh, yeah. And I know that that's where the power ultimately is going to be. So I cannot deviate. I can't change. It's my belief. It's my faith. You work with the Pakistanis and the Indians and the Russians and the Eritreans. And you, you just keep going. You just keep going because it's what you believe. But I tell you what, on that day, on that day, for the first time, I can honestly say... It was almost like the first drop. Did you feel that? Did you feel that then? The first drop hit my spirit. Reinhard Bonnke played the guitar in a corner of the street for 20 years. I haven't played guitar. But I have believed in this one thing. That the end times church will be a powerful international beauty. And in order to get there, we need unity. And in order to keep the masses as they get delivered, we need a church culture. And I thank God he's introduced us to Razvan because I want to bring him here. I want you to meet him. I want him to pray for us. Maybe do a leader's retreat with us. And whatever you've got going there, Razvan, please do it. Do you know, Jesus, I when I, when I finish, this is, a, this is give you an idea of what this guy is like. When I finish preaching... He took his wife's hand in his church. It's a big church of three, four hundred people. He walked up in front of his congregation, got down on his knees, and said, Would you lay hands on me? I, oh, Jesus. No, 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 no. Lay their hands on me. I felt like saying, Brother, I am not, this is not my place to lay hands on you. I have not attracted the presence of the Lord as you have but I will do what you say. And I prayed for an impartation of evangelism, which is what he asked me to do. Stick around, folks. Stick around. And I encourage you to go through your life like a hoover. Okay? Get every sin out of your life. Don't play games with this stuff because it's serious stuff. You can get hurt. You really can get hurt. Okay, it's not a joke. I don't say that to frighten you, and neither would Jesus, but Jesus would give you much more stronger warnings than I am. But don't miss it either. Can you imagine missing the, f- the party? Can you imagine missing the excitement in these last days? Don't, well, I, I was going to say don't be a Samson. You, you can be a Samson in, in, in the right way. Listen, everybody eyes forward. Listen to me, listen. Do you have a repeated sin? in your life. Is there a sin that you have not yet dealt with? 
there's a devilish strategy behind it. Oh, no, no, no. It's just my little weakness. Just my little white, little white spot. That's what happened, Samson. Samson tolerated that and it ended up destroying him. You need to realize there's a strategy behind that sort of thing. In this book, remember the chapter, Leanne? Zero tolerance policy. Remember the chapter? We need to have a a mentality that we have a zero tolerance policy to sin because once it gets that little spot, it's going to grow until it ultimately destroys you and the devil's a cunning foe out to get you. Now, I am delighted over the moon to tell you this. Did Samson end badly? No. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Samson ended up being written into the heroes of faith. How is that good news or what? Absolutely fantastic. Even though he had messed up. I mean, he messed up big time. Okay, big time. Here he is with an enormous trust placed in him by God and he really blew it. But praise God, he repented. And he came back. In fact, let's read it. Let's read it if I can find it. Judges chapter 16. I keep on losing my scriptures today. Judges chapter... I want to find that place where he said, strengthen me one last time. Judges chapter 16. Verse 28. Thanks, Isabel. There it is. After everything was over, look at verse 28. Judges chapter 16, verse 28. I want us to pray as we have communion this morning. Samson had a great weakness, but he was a deliverer. He was a deliverer. And as we read in Mark 16, every believer has that power, just like you have the power to speak in tongues, but many of you are not capable yet because there's sin in your life and it's a dangerous practice. But Jesus has put his his Holy Ghost in you, you see. And we need to develop a culture of power, a culture of faith. And Samson repented at the end of his days, Judges 16, 26. Um, Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. This is the devil, representative of the devil and his power. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against him, his right hand on the one on the right and his... Samson Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers. And I want you to know, folks, that Samson is one of many. The apostle Peter made a lot of mistakes, but he ended well. Remember? Moses made a lot of mistakes, but God looked after him. Joshua made mistakes. Samson made mistakes, and I'm sure you have too. I want you to know that these are truly the last days. Could the worship team go back, please, for us? And it is a perfectly fitting day for us to have communion. So I go for a cup of coffee and I'm standing looking at my policemen and there they are. (laughs) You can laugh at me if you want. We go in that coffee shop all the time. i never seen police in there before, let alone small ones. And I think God was emphasizing my point. Some people here, they're believers, but they feel so insignificant. And I tell you what, folks, don't ever judge a book by the cover. Don't ever judge a book by the cover. Because among you, you don't know who's sitting on your left. You don't know sitting on your right there could be great gifts buried in here now we all have innate abilities because we're born again which we've just seen but those powers come with responsibility great responsibility and that's what communion's about right now 
in order for you to enter into everything God has and for us to take this great city. And this is a great city. Amen. For us to take dominion in this great city, we need to do it together. But you need to do it as a person, first of all, first and foremost here this morning. If you've got habitual sin, repent. Stay away from this stuff because you're not in a fit state. Repent. Repent. And let's start to get ourselves ready to be the team, the dream team, as they call it, God's team. Specifically, I would ask you to think about habitual sin. Repeated, because that's what Samson's problem was. Think about, because everybody's got them. And let, let, let me say this, I'm sorry to say it, but it's the truth. You could say this morning, God deliver me. He may not. He may not. That could be your thorn in the flesh. That could be the cat biscuits. That one thing left in you is his safety catch that keeps you coming back like my cat every day. And you can say, oh God, but if only... And God says, I know you better than you know yourself. And I'm going to keep you right where you are because I want to keep you strong and keep you intimate with me. And this is how I do it. Now, it may not be that, and God may set you free this morning. But I want you to get very serious. Why don't you just stay seated? And you don't need to sing this song. Could I have the words up, Joyce, if you, if you could put the words of... This is a lovely song. Remember, you will not forsake me in my weaknesses. Samson had terrible weaknesses. And God did not forsake him. He didn't do his job until the end. So faithful, so constant, so loving and so true, so powerful in all you do. You fill me, you see me, you know my every move. You're, you love for me to sing to you. I know that you are for me. I know that you are for me. I know that you will never forsake me in my weaknesses. Why don't the worship team just sing that to us one moment and I want you to collect yourself maybe like you've never done before. You know, sometimes people get a word and like you know they got a word. You know that they've heard from God. When we were moving to Ireland in the very beginning, she used to say to me all the time, someone to live within sound of church and chapel bell but i want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell and she used to say it this is what ireland's going to be someone to live within the sound of church and chapel bell but i want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell and she went over and then when we ended up in dublin a rescue shop within a yard of hell that's what it was and my point is Jeanette has another refrain that since I've met her, she said this, that God has told her this, I am raising up an army and I will fill it with power. I am raising up an army and I will fill it with power. God's got an economy with his power. It's got to be a clean vessel. He's a good dad and he won't destroy you or let you destroy yourself. So my appeal to you this morning is, is take sin very seriously, right? Do you know what Christians, born-again Christians do? They confess and they don't forsake. The lost confess and forsake and they get saved. But when we get older in the Lord, we start confessing and we stop forsaking. And we tolerate the little white spot. Next thing you know, we're out of commission. We lost it. Father, I pray this would be a communion like no other. Take us on a journey, Lord. Take us on a journey. We know the seriousness of the hour and we know the seriousness of the call. And yet we stand, Lord. Yet we present ourselves this morning and your grace will be sufficient. Help us to want to want. Help us to want, to want what is good, to want what is right, to want what is godly. Help us to want, to want. 
put a holy desire in us, God, to be so filled with you that the knowledge of who we are dominates and not what we see in this world. Come, Holy Ghost, be pleased to dwell in these vessels. And God, we repent this morning of every sin, known and unknown, for everything we have not forsaken that we have tolerated. Would you forgive us today? Your blood and only your blood has the power to wash me clean. Nothing in the universe can help me but the blood of Jesus. Nothing, no one, and nothing can help me but the blood of Jesus. And so this morning, God, we repent and we forsake all sin. Now send your grace upon us. Deliver us from evil, God. And those things you leave, if it be your will, God, give us the strength each day to die daily as Paul did and to walk in the grace of God. So we draw a line in the sand this morning. Thus far and no further. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord Almighty rebuke you out of all these people's lives, our homes, our families, our extended families. Every demon is beneath our feet in Jesus' name. Every mind game beneath our feet. Free to free. May we be free to free others, God. We break the mental chains like the eagle who cannot fly. We break that tether in the name of Jesus, God. Renew our minds this morning. 